0: Hello, Agents, and welcome to Podcast 13. This week, we are discussing
1: Episode 204, Age Before Beauty. All right, Agents, this is so exciting because we are going to make some announcements about Klexicon. You may have seen on Twitter, some of our amazing listeners and fellow Warehouse fans are counting down the days until we get to see Jamie Murray. So I'm not sure what exact date this episode will drop, but we are approximately 130 days away from seeing the beautiful Helena G. Wells in the flesh. So make sure you're sharing your excitement with hashtag Jamie at Clexacon and that you're spelling her name J-A-I-M-E.
0: And, related to that, we have some very special news, Agents. We told you to stay tuned for more Clexicon announcements, and here is one. We have two tickets to give away to Klexicon. Now, right off the bat, I want to say this does not include travel, and this does not include the hotel, so you have to get yourself there, and a place to be. But, we can give you tickets to the event. And so here are the
1: rules. We will be posting them online, too. So the contest is open from December 24th, 2019 to February 1st, 2020, and all entries must be submitted via email to warehouse13pod at gmail.com.
0: And we will randomly pick a winner from all legitimate entries. So what do you have to do to enter? Simple. Simple just email us at warehouse13pod at gmail.com and tell us your name, your email address, and your favorite fact that you've learned from listening to one of our episodes.
1: Yes, and as a podcast that wants to just elevate the voices of all our women and other guest scholars who come on our show, we think um, all of us have learned so much from making this podcast and interviewing experts, um, so something that you've learned from the work that we do will make us so excited to hear from you. So, from there,
0: I would just like to say that in lieu of a writer spotlight this episode, we will be providing information about the Me Too Movement, including a link to the Me Too Movement website, which provides information and resources for people who are struggling with or want to support those who are struggling with sexual harassment, and you can find that resource in the episode description for this episode and
1: in the show notes for this episode when they go up. Thanks so much, Jill. We also have an important content warning for this episode. If you've seen it before, you are familiar that this episode is going to address body image issues and eating disorders. And we know that can be really hard for people. So of course, Jillian and I are going to support the skin you're in. But if that is triggering for you, Please be advised that it's going to come up multiple times in the episode.
0: It is baked into the episode. We will try to be respectful of it for you. But if it's too much, that's okay. Um, So yeah, I think that gets us ready for the episode, Jill. Awesome. So now it is time for this week's summary. Pete and Micah head to New York Fashion Week to find an artifact that steals youth. Claudia tries to date. And Micah confronts some insecurities.
1: Oh, Claudia tries to date. I won't, I won't say she dates, but I'll say she tries to. <laughs> <laughs> so, this is uh this is a great kind of A and B plot episode. And previously on when it it shows up to remind us, it highlights that we have met Todd, the hardware store boy, and Claudia beat him up, and uh things uh, just kind of went from there so they're <laughs> reminding us that we have met this Todd before and he's gonna tie in now. So we begin the episode proper in Milan and uh, there is a fashion show happening. I kind of noted that it's like a steampunk gothy fashion show. Um, there's a lot of like fascinators on people's heads and like sort of goth makeup and flowy long gowns. Um, Yeah,
0: I keep trying to remember exactly what was going on in that year, and while the fashion seems really strange to me, like not the individual fashion that people are wearing, but the fashion being presented on the runway, it mm -hmm. does sort of make sense with my memory at that time of old Hollywood being sort of big, and also... If season one was our freshman year of college, season two would have been my sophomore year, which I vividly remember a friend of mine and I debating whether or not to stay up for the royal wedding, which was happening
1: at that time. Yes, that was 2010, yeah.
0: Yeah, and so I I remember that was the time when America became aware of fascinators.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You know, actually, maybe that does explain it, because what's funny to me is that, like, Part of the fashion all felt outdated, like early 2000s. But again, I'm not a fashion expert. I'm just like telling you what I saw on TV. And I don't think it was
0: an accurate portrayal of the fashion world in a physical sense. I None of the fashion screamed high fashion to me. It screamed it's commercial fashion. Yeah, it was commercial fashion. And it was lots of elements of it were Either old Hollywood or classic Hollywood, so you have a lot of elements to me that seemed very 30s and 40s, and then some random,
1: like, 70s elements in there. Yeah, Micah's fur later we'll talk about, because I don't know who and when that was high fashion, but I think the answer is not since 1920.
0: 40, I would think. Sorry, but we got a little off track.
1: It was interesting fashion. It was interesting fashion and the thing is I don't want to be critical because you know we love the fashion team on this show. Yeah. I I think it's just like they may not have portrayed high fashion truly to the year 2010 but they had a the writers had created an image of what this world would be and then the fashion team delivered on and the set team delivered on this world that was being written for them as the fashion world.
0: Yeah I mean and Project Runway existed and, you know, it had
1: been on for a few years. Oh, but... Jillian, I have notes about Project Runway. Yes, good. This, this was a time when a lot of people our age, like young women, were watching Project Runway. So I think that was a part of this episode altogether.
0: Exactly. But I'm not sure how many people in general were watching Project Runway at the time. We have the luxury now of being exposed to a lot more of that world. Do you remember when Project Runway first happened? Everyone was like, oh, it's just clothes," And then they watched an episode. and They're like, oh, never mind. Yeah, I
1: remember. So Project Runway started airing when I was in high school. So it would have been a few years before this. And uh, my dad watched it because he was flabbergasted and blown away by Because we have this idea of, like, clothes and modeling and, like, what it is. And then you see the designers actually design and, like, make physical garments of clothing. And it blows your mind, like, the work and talent and skill that goes into making clothes.
0: Yeah, and so I think this episode was a perfect encapsulation of that time when people were learning about how the fashion industry worked but also really didn't know much about it yet. It was just this new thing they were exposed to.
1: Yeah, I think that's a huge um, good point. There's also an episode of Sex and the City where Carrie gets cast in a fashion show. And, and that reminds yeah. me a lot of this. Like, oh, what? New York fashion shows? Like, what would it be like to have a normie like be in these really revealing clothes, you know? And it's... Eh. I think it's a that episode of sex in the city is similar to this it's like an empowerment story of like am i gonna put myself out there in this way and she does yeah back to the fashion show yeah uh
0: some older lady comes up speaking russian we later do get confirmation that she is speaking russian but i was just like probably it sounds Russianish. um and she grabs a model off the runway and people carry her out
1: yes And although I don't know any Russian, the Italian police officers are like, come with me, ma'am, come with me. So the Italians uh, take her away, but even if you do have subtitles on, neither the Russian or Italian is translated.
0: Uh, And from there, we go to Cardiff, Wales, which gives me so many feelings. Um, First of all, Torchwood, a cursory look on the internet showed me that there are at least eight crossover fan fictions between (sighs) Warehouse 13 and um, Torchwood, which is really a match made in heaven. Absolutely. And also, to anyone in IB right now, (laughs) you can do this.
1: The HL and SLs are
0: almost over. You got this. It's all going to be okay.
1: Jillian says that because the IB, that's International Baccalaureate, exams are all graded in Cardiff, Wales, correct? The IB organization is based in Cardiff, Wales.
0: Okay. They're graded all over.
1: And uh, meanwhile, Wales, hello, your country is beautiful, and I love it there. Yes. Lots of positive feelings toward Wales. Everything is good, including your language with its W's for vowels. I absolutely (laughs) am obsessed with. Yes.
0: And... What's happening in Wales is Pete gets thrown to the ground while we join Micah mid
1: sword fight. Straight up sword fighting outside of a castle. Micah is so cool. And I almost, it's almost like more of a fangirl fantasy that she's doing this because she's like in her genes. It's not like, it's not like a time travel, like fantasy. It's just like, oh, Micah can just actually do this in her day-to-day life. It's amazing.
0: This whole first scene tells the story of an entire episode, and I love it so much. Um, I want this episode. I want this episode so bad. I know. This is some amazing off-screen storytelling. And Micah's really holding her own, but she does end up holding this weird-looking rock thing and gets shoved to the ground, and Pete comes in for the final assist, yelling, Eat shield, Stabby! And whoever is (laughs) wielding the sword, and he just slams a shield down onto someone.
1: Yes, and so as a team, um, you know, they use this sort of dual artifact thing. We understand what's happening. The sword goes through her as if it is non-corporeal, and she is not injured. And Pete is
0: super impressed with her, recognizing that not everyone knows how to wield a sword, which I think is cool. Most shows could just play it off like, yeah, you know, just sword fighting because this
1: is what we're doing this week. Or they would just be like, oh, well, she's uh, uh, trained, you know, in self-defense and fighting, so she is good at this. But there is a good explanation. Yeah, and she says, you know, some girls play with Barbies,
0: others take fencing lessons, which is cute, but it's 2019 and you can do both just saying for our modern audience absolutely we don't have to choose and they call Artie to say that they have retrieved the sword which we learn is the real
1: excalibur oh boy okay so he actually pete says behold excalibur and Artie goes into an explanation about well this is how king arthur pulled the sword from the stone Here's the thing, though. I know what you're all thinking, nerds. You're thinking to yourself, Excalibur was given to King Arthur by the Lady of the Lake, and is not, in fact, the sword in the stone. And that is true in um, the post woolgate cycle, but not true in some of the other stories. So the fact is, we get like this great, uh, this great rendition of like King Arthur and Excalibur and the sword in the stone that points to like the very inconsistency of like the King Arthur myths. Because Artie is, like, talking about the real King Arthur and the real Sword in the Stone, but Pete immediately wants to ask, like, what about Merlin? What about the knights? And um, Artie's like, no, those are bedtime stories, except the Holy Grail, which he abruptly subject changes. So I had to fight really hard as a person who loves Arthurian legend not to, like, go into 10,000 explanations of what might be happening here. But I think the point is that, like, they're doing that thing where they blur the line of like the fiction and the quote-unquote historical uh you know documentation of these characters because like quote-unquote again there are sources about King Arthur but they are works of fiction um even though they were presented as mythology in this like boundary blurring way and Artie is like got all the info to talk about that which i think is so fun
0: yes and i have a few specific notes about this techno babbly explanation before we move on first as always i want to say great work to the set deck and props departments because it is a very different looking sword than the hanja Masamune, not just in its shape but in the color and quality and sheen of the metal itself and they did a great job differentiating between western swords and samurai swords and you know we know that this is a team that really looks for that kind of detail so excellent work um pete asks in this order if the following are real merlin no knights of the round table no holy grail yes for the first two merlin and the knights of the round table and learning about how that early history plays into british history i cannot recommend the british history podcast strongly enough it is an excellent resource with a name that's really easy to remember because it's just the british history podcast so please check it out it's great it's another very independent podcast no sponsorships no ads for and regarding holy grail First of all, I love the way Micah just slaps Pete's arm, like, this is so cool, like, they just share a moment, it's so sweet, you can see, like, the perfect partnership that they've got. But also, if you are a fan of Buffy, it reminds me of Leprechauns in Buffy, (laughs) where it's like, there are these hard lines in the sand within these fantastical worlds that oh, yes, anything and everything is possible, except for that
1: one thing. Don't be ridiculous. I love it. I love it so much. Um, Yes. Thank you, Jill. That's wonderful. And I love the British History Podcast, the BHP. I think his name is Jamie. Um, It is. We love you, Jamie. Yes. And from there,
0: Artie sends Pete and Micah to Italy for an unexpected detour. I think he says (laughs) something like, oh, on your way home, stop by Italy and check out this ping we got. And they're like, well, Italy's not... On the way home, he's like, Yeah, well, it's your job, go.
1: (laughs) But I do love how this, like, as an American, is very relatable because, like, once you get yourself to Europe, you're like, Wait, wait, all of Europe is so, like, one hour away, you know? Like, my dad lives one state away and it takes five hours to get there. Mm -hmm. So, like, when you're in Europe and you're like, Wait, five hours, the same distance from my dad's house, I could go to any other country that I want. Like, It's kind of funny, uh, not on the way, but they go and they have a sort of ping or lead that something is up there.
0: Yes, and they go to a morgue where they meet with a detective uh, and they stand over the body of the old woman who grabbed the young model off the runway. She has passed and she has no ID, but they can identify that she died of old age and that she has boob implants (laughs) and... Pete's dialogue in the following scenes is remarkable, and I really like whichever writer is responsible for fine tuning his dialogue because it's very true to Pete. um he says I've never
1: seen I've never seen him like that referring to like the breast implants outside of the body as like a jiggly silicone yeah, yeah.
0: and the Italian detective starts saying, oh, by the way, the woman was saying this before she died, and he speaks the words that the woman was saying, which Micah immediately says, oh, it's Russian, (laughs) and can translate because, to no one's surprise, of course she also speaks Russian. Um,
1: And I I like, too, she does a second follow-up of the Some Girls Played with Barbies thing. Um, Not only is she athletic and sword-fighty, but she's also very intelligent. Again... um, We'll talk about this later, but there's an issue in older, quote-unquote, feminist texts where women define themselves in opposition to other women. They're like, I'm not like most girls. I am athletic and smart and whatever. And although it is empowering to have an athletic and intelligent character who's a woman, um, we don't want to ever gain our power by disempowering, quote unquote, other girls. So we'll talk about that as we get through. I don't think that's what Micah is doing. I think she is making a joke. Um, But yeah, the, the complexity of gender in this episode. Yes, absolutely. And I'm glad that you pointed that out. But I also do
0: like that her speaking Russian doesn't come from out of nowhere. There is... A reference in a very early on episode where we do learn that she taught herself a lot of languages by reading books in her dad's bookstore.
1: Yeah and we had the episode last uh, week about her having a photographic memory and can confirm as a person with photographic memory learning languages is very easy for people with a great ability for rote memorization like I am absolutely not surprised that she was like, oh, Russian, I'll like read some books and like, you know, listen to some tapes and then I'll know Russian. Like, that's kind of, that's kind of realistic for her character.
0: Yes. And then the joke kind of fades when she translates in her head what the woman was saying in Russian. Before the woman died,
1: Micah realizes she was saying, they stole me. Yes, And so... This kind of resonates with us as the scene continues moving quickly. Pete is like, oh, I know how to identify this woman. Surgical implants, and this is absolutely true, have numbers that can be traced back to the doctor and the, you know, hospital and all of this stuff. So, what I think is so smart about, I don't know if it's called blocking, Jillian. That sounds right to me. Um, Pete is doing this research while eating a snack. Yeah. It's just, like, it's so Pete. It's, like, he is brilliant, and, like, it's funny to us that he knows facts about breast implants, but, like, also this is true of any, you know, you get anything, like, a rod put in your leg, there's going to be a surgical, you know, stuff on it. So it's, like, yeah. It's a thing a detective would genuinely know. Yeah, it's just funny because Pete's the one who brought it up,
0: and it's probably not because he knows a lot about breast (laughs) implants, but it's just funny that he made the connection, so of course Micah's going to tease him about it.
1: Yeah, and he just, he's like, yep, I'm I'm Pete, I'm your big goofy brother, and I'm going to do something really smart while chomping on this biscuit at the computer. I don't know what he's eating. Um, It's like a
0: sandwich, and I actually made a note about that too, because... As someone, and we've talked about this on the show before, as someone who is familiar with set food and how gross it is to eat, (laughs) I actually, though, really do like that Pete eats on camera because the flip side of knowing about how gross set food is is that whenever I watch a show, and almost every show has some sort of family dinner scene or an equivalent, no one eats. So I really do like the small, tangible things that this show does to make it feel more real and lived in than a lot of shows.
1: And can I just say, now that you're pointing this out, there's a lot of eating that either happens or is referred to, like the biscotti, the chili, like throughout this episode. Um, We see eating, like you said, all the time with uh, Pete's character and even the Twizzlers' placement. But what I do love is that all of these characters are what we would deem as conventionally attractive people, and they all eat uh, openly and, you know, like, all the time. And I think that when we get to the sort of triggery food, uh, you know, relationships later, that it is nice to have a contrast of, like, I mean, it's possible that some gender conventions may give you a different relationship to food than someone else, But what I just like, generally speaking, is that the characters in Warehouse 13 love and enjoy food. And I think humans should never be ashamed of loving and enjoying food. I like the way that that is a part of this world. Yes.
0: I want to talk a little bit more about
1: Micah joking about how Pete
0: knows things about breast implants because of his response. Oh, yes. Which is Some boys play with Barbies, which is true, and I love that Pete has no compunction at all about just owning that and saying that as a thing. He's not like, well, I can't even reference playing with Barbies because of my masculinity. He's just so secure in it, and I love that. The joke is that Pete plays with boobies. Well, yeah, but I just, I do like that he phrased it, some boys play with Barbies,
1: you know? I d- I'm definitely. My brother played Barbies with me and my sister all the time. Also, all of our Barbies were gay um, because <laughs> we didn't have a boy Barbie, so we would just <laughs> make them marry each other. Um, I love it. Fun fact, anyway.
0: <laughs> That's amazing. And they realized that the breast implants belonged to a model named Anya Verdikov. And this is why I brought up what he said about the Barbies and the way he phrased it. Because how most people in most shows would say, ah, the boobs belong to this person. He says these implants were placed in the body of... I didn't catch that, Jillian. Oh, Pete. I love him so much. He... He recognizes her, and so does the detective, as a model. But Pete very specifically says a 19-year-old model. There's no sexualization of this person who is now a dead teenager, the same age as Claudia. And from there, we go to the opening credits. Woohoo! I'm so excited, and I'm so excited that whatever was happening in the network for the first three episodes, they fixed, (laughs) and that the opening credits come at a normal time now. Yeah, it's a good normal time. And from there, we go to Act 2. And we meet up at the warehouse office where Pete and Micah return. Claudia runs to greet them and says, Welcome back. What you bring me? Which I love.
1: (laughs) I love it! Pete did indeed bring her something. uh, Biscotti, which is a great gift. And when he gives it to her, there's only a tiny scrap left. And he says, "Oh, it was a long flight," which is hilarious.
0: I don't think that they actually brought her anything. I think that he got himself some biscotti to eat on the plane, and there was like a little bit left. And he was, and he the joke was right there. And he was like, "Yeah, here."
1: (laughs) I pictured it as like Pete being like, "Man, that biscotti is good. I'll get, I'll get some to bring back home." And then like he can't help himself. But I think both readings are amazing,
0: and I just (laughs) love Pete and I love Claudia. Um. Artie appears and tells Claudia to do the honors in explaining what they found out. And he does it while eating snacks, which I want to point out, the snacks this week are fruit.
1: Oh, I did see the tray. I thought it was a very beautiful, colorful tray, but did not not note. Uh, I suppose that is our off-camera Lena helping Artie be a little healthier. It is, and also I would like to note
0: that he goes around offering it to people and Micah eats some. Yes! Good I love job. It. I love it I love so it. much. Um, and it's funny that Artie tells Claudia to do the honors in the
1: explaining because he keeps interrupting her as she tries to explain stuff. Uh, and they explain that all over different cities in the world, um, models have been either disappearing or showing up with uh, rapid aging. And coincidentally, New York Fashion Week is occurring. So Artie gets Pete and Micah two tickets to the show with the expectation that this trend is going to continue and they can investigate whatever artifact is causing this.
0: Yes, Pete makes it known that he is excited to visit the original Ray's pizza, which I believe is a real pizza place. Um, And Artie says the original, original Ray's pizza is in the warehouse and was made with mob cheese, because
1: you can't make a decent pie
0: without mob cheese.
1: Oh my gosh, I didn't even catch the whole sentence. It was just like, mob cheese. And I was like, mob cheese. (laughs) And then I remembered that part of our um, Lucretia Borgia interview, where the uh, expert told us that the most interesting thing about Lucretia Borgia is that she was like, making a ton of money importing cheese. Do you remember this? Yes. Or something, I don't recall the exact fact, but you should go back and listen to it. It it cracked me up. I was like, oh my gosh, yes, the cheese. Yes. So the reason they're going
0: to New York Fashion Week is specifically to interview Anya's agent to find out where Anya was and who she'd been in touch with. Pete and Micah head out as Claudia starts to do a mainframe search. Claudia gets annoyed with her constantly buzzing phone. When Artie inquires what's happening, she says, it's Todd, Todd. Who keeps texting her and Artie makes a face. As she goes, texting,
1: it's what kids do these days instead of dinosaur races. And her delivery of that line is so good. I just love this exchange between Claudia and Artie. It is so funny and perfectly played. And, like, just that face she gives him, like, you know, instead of the dinosaur races, uh, it makes me smile. I love it. And
0: he he then quits. He's like, yeah, I also know what iTunes and Color TV are. But then. That's kind of all undercut by his next sentence, which is,
1: What is a Todd? <laughs> I love it, but especially because of their line of work. Like, a Todd, yeah, it could be anything. Um, <laughs> so it also kind of sounds like it could be an acronym, but it's not. Claudia reminds him, like, you know, the guy at the hardware store, you saw him. And Artie gets the best line. Oh, I remember that kid. He was (laughs) inoffensive. Which is, like,
0: the best thing, like, a dad figure can say, I think. You're not, like, taking a hard line for or against. You're just like, oh, I acknowledge that this is happening.
1: And I, again, think, and this is, we'll do a spotlight on him later. But I mentioned it last week that, like, just without any other better word... Todd is a cute, sort of wholesome midwestern seeming boy, and actually inoffensive, even though we get the idea that it's like a dad like you know being protective and pretty much the best you can get is inoffensive <laughs> from your dad, like he is genuinely inoffensive, yeah, I also liked Claudia's reaction to
0: the text where she goes, uh, "Want to meet for coffee? Give me my space." I literally just wrote, "Oh no, it's me." <laughs> <Hello>? <laughs> <laughs> um Artie gives her some helpful encouragement to text him back. He's very fatherly and it's actually coming very naturally to him. So naturally, in fact, that before he can stop the words from leaving his mouth, he says, You're not a girl anymore.
1: You're a woman. Oh boy. And you know the funny thing is, I actually think, I don't think arty is trying to give her the talk. Um oh no. I think Artie is actually trying to to tell her, like, you should date, you know, you should seek companionship. I give you my permission. But it so quickly goes off the rails from, oh, and he's a man, and you're, and she, her face, and the awkwardness, and the yeah, mortification. Yeah, and like, then he's like, well, not that
0: you need my permission, but just, it's like that fine line between encouraging and like, directing. It's so much, and Claudia's eyes just get so
1: big, and she just ends it. Yes, and she just quickly gets off the topic, and I took a note that our kind of funny joke warehouse music plays, like the music that alerts you an awkward thing is happening, Um, and it it is fun and funny and and sort of embarrassing. And it leads us to New York, um, where Pete is having the best assignment ever.
0: (laughs) Yes. He is in a fashion agency, and he immediately recognizes a model named Isabella Fuentes. He gets super weird and fanboyy over her at work, and it's kind of sweet until he starts hitting on her. I mean, gosh dang, that man is unafraid to take a chance, but you should not hit on women at work, and Micah basically says that. She says, you're scaring her, and basically gets him to back off a little bit. But the model, Isabella, is not feeling very well, and... Before they can really register that, another model storms out of an office and spots Pete and Micah and says, what, are we opening a Walmart?
1: (laughs) Which is super rude! Super rude, super bad, and an interesting way that the writers chose to portray the fashion industry, which is not necessarily incorrect, is as a very moneyed thing, um, like the people there are all very rich and like well dressed, and so the suggestion is that Pete and Micah are wearing lower quality clothes than everybody else, and that's why uh the very classist sort of elitist Walmart joke comes in. But my other note is to acknowledge that Pete also makes a Yoda joke about do or do not there is no try. Because they're committed to this assignment in the modeling thing. And uh, modeling shenanigans are afoot. Immediately, there's the Walmart joke. And immediately, there's like, tell them not to give her a basket with food in it. Blah, blah, blah. Which,
0: like, it's so complicated. Because there is a lot of body dysmorphia and a lot of eating disordered issues within the modeling agency. Because of how focused it is on appearance.
1: But that doesn't give you a license to make a joke out of it. The woman who says this thing about the food basket is actually the, like, agent Sutton Harris. Is that her? Yes. And later they are in the agent's office.
0: And they learn that before Anya went missing, Anya says she was coming down with the flu. Pete immediately remembered that Isabella also seemed sort of off and didn't feel well and he gets up and runs after her before anyone else knows what's happening. He does catch up to her and they have a very brief conversation, at the end of which she falls into his arms because he catches her, um, and she transforms into an old woman before his eyes. Micah runs to him, sees what's up, and Pete tells her to get an ambulance. It's pretty scary and upsetting.
1: Yeah, so it's interesting that we get an immediate response to this from both Pete and Sutton, the agent. Um, Sutton assures everybody, like, oh, it's just a poor old woman who took a fall. And it's interesting because Micah tells us that, like, the agents agree to keep a lid on this situation. But, like, it's also really thrown Pete off. Like, he's shaken up, and I... I, I think it's worth thinking about because um, I don't think he's shaken up because it's a model. I think he's shaken up because the power to to take youth away, like it's not about youth so much as it is about like your actual lifespan because the the models are dying of old age and it's basically a death sentence and Although they deal with artifacts that like can kill you, like the Hanjo Masamane can kill you, but like it's not an immediate death sentence, it's just a tool. I also think it's the feeling of helplessness. Yeah, and what our artifact expert pointed out, I don't think is a literal uh, reading for this moment, but could be a metaphorical one. She said that we don't often see in media the possibility or opportunity for women to age gracefully or slowly or gradually to become a different role in society. They're just either young and attractive or they're crones who society doesn't want to see. So let's introduce our artifact expert for the week. Dr. Christine Adams is a scholar of French history with research expertise in gender, sexuality, and the culture of fashion and beauty. She is a professor at St. Mary's College of Maryland, and also writes op-eds on topics that link historical insights with current events, especially with regard to the politics of reproduction, women, and sexuality. So here's her clip about the two extremes of aging for women in media.
2: This is a real problem, I think, because we associate um, beauty with youth. And for women, it's like they cannot grow into older, wiser, warmer women. We assume that they want to hold on to youth, that they want to hold on to their beauty. And once they're past that age, we just want them to be invisible. And it's not a coincidence that, you know, that throughout history, that those have been the women women who have been accused of witchcraft, who have been accused of jealousy, um, and and the women that we don't really want to have around anymore.
1: Yeah. Um, and so Pete and Micah quickly get back into gear to discuss what's happening. Um, they're looking for the connection. Um, Micah has already confirmed that the artifact was not on Isabella. It's not like a clothing or jewelry item that was on her. And they're assuming that the baddie, whoever that person is, has the artifact still with them. And this is, like Jill said, really scary because they have to figure out why this is happening and who is doing it in a huge, busy, you know, place full of, of people. People who will only be there for a limited amount of time.
0: Like, New York Fashion Week is a big event and a lot of designers do live in new york but they're not all in the exact same place at the exact same time with the photographers and the models that's a very limited event and the other thing that's going on is pete farnsworth's artie to let him know what's going on and artie says that he wants a blood sample and pete wants to know why it's models that are affected why does it have to be these people of everyone in new york at that time and of
1: everyone at fashion week at that time And this leads Pete to look at his partner, Micah, with that quizzical, mischievous look. Um, He tells Micah he knows she won't like it. He has a plan. Uh, It's as if he has seen Miss Congeniality. I wrote that, too! (laughs) We've all seen it, and as soon as he gets that look, we know what's happening. Um, And, you know, we'll talk about this, but uh, he works with Sutton to set something up, and we we don't, like, go through a Princess Diaries transformation. It's just like, no, we know exactly what's happening here. We quickly cut from, like, the plan to the execution of the plan, where um, they say, how'd we do? And in the words of my subtitles, funky music plays, <laughs> and Micah comes out for the big reveal. And Pete says holy crap, because he is quite impressed with her appearance. I mean, the question is, are we surprised? Because no one's surprised. And we get the reveal later that Pete is not actually, like, he knows and has known the whole time that she's a beautiful woman. He is not actually surprised. And who's reacted to her before, when she was Alice. Yes, yeah. Like, she has always been an attractive woman, and, like, dressing a certain way may make her legible in some stereotypical manner as an attractive woman but like we know she's gorgeous and um all they've done is like put her into a role where she has this body con dress, she has the fur, she has the big earrings and it's like i wrote that they don't really make her look any more beautiful yeah and it's not that she didn't put in an effort before she just looked professional And that's exactly what I talked about with the expert is this line that we as women have to walk of I want to look nice, but my job and being respected at work dictates the way that I'm supposed to dress.
2: Yes, this is something that that women have to uh, they want to appear attractive, but not a certain kind of attractiveness. I mean, you don't want to be too sexy because that will be that's you can't be taken seriously in that case and so it was interesting you know once again in the show with, with Micah, who who tries very hard to you know be taken seriously as, a, as an agent and then and yet behind every you know every smart woman agent there's this this girl who felt inferior to her cheerleader sister the assumption is that every woman wants to be that goddess that model and, and the thing is I mean, and this is always the case in these TV shows. I mean, it's just so ludicrous because she's stunningly gorgeous. And the, and the same thing with Claudia, who they make into this sort of, you know, train wreck. And it's like, no, they're both gorgeous. They would both be perfectly confident about their looks. It, it, it's a problem with shows in general, I guess, because they all have to look like that. So, anyway. I mean, I don't know if you remember when Hillary Clinton was running the, the you know, the, the days of sort of um, newspaper attention to the fact that, that, like, she had a slight bit of cleavage, you know, one of the outfits she was wearing. And so it's female politicians. Um, they have to, they all have to wear sort of the same uniform. They wear the, the, the gumball colored, you know, jackets and the, the pencil skirts and the sort of sensible shoes, but with a heel. And, and, and they have the the blowouts in their hair and stuff so they need to look you know attractive and put together but certainly not sexy because
1: like even like we've seen her wear dresses before but not this like she's hyper made up she's like very hours and hours of hair and makeup as opposed to 30 minutes of hair and makeup which she probably honestly does um every day looking at her uh that's what i would guess So, we get a commercial break after Pete's response to her reveal. The outro card was a cute one. It was of
0: Artie's gloved hands putting the the still frame of Micah smiling into an artifact bag. Good job, editors. And from there, we move on to Act 3. We start at a runway. I don't know actually what to call it. Like, is the whole
1: space a runway? I mean, I'm not the person to ask. (laughs) And we get immediately our Project Runway reference because in the original Project Runway with Heidi Klum, um, she would say, welcome to you know New York Fashion Week or welcome to the runway, where one week you're in and the next week you're out. But they don't even let them finish that line, probably because it's copyrighted. I don't I know. I was going to say, probably. <laughs> one, one day you're in and they're like, yeah, yeah, we know. Which again, um, I did a quick Google while Jill was talking earlier because I think Project Runway may have been a slightly less popular show than America's Next Top Model. Um Top Model was definitely huge at this time. Project Runway also was watched by like me and the, you know, female friends that I had, but I think I think uh if I remember in high school it was like everyone showed up the next day talking about Top Model. Oh yeah. Model. 100%. We we have our maybe not correctly fully informed but our perception of the runway and New York Fashion Week like yes we know what's happening and we fill in the blanks as we approach Pete and Micah walking through this space.
0: Micah is super uncomfortable seemingly both emotionally and physically and she very earnestly says to Pete why did I have to be the model clearly implying why can't you which I think is great and hilarious because we do know Eddie was, what, 82 on the yes. list of <laughs> Sexiest Men Alive? Pete's response is, well, I don't have the legs for a dress like that, which I think is so funny. Um, but then immediately as they go backstage, a photographer calls a fat. So yes.
1: let's start unpacking this, shall we? Uh, just before we unpack it, I would like to say that as this walk-in talk occurs, there are undressed women in sexy underwear, like m- plural. Um I saw them. I looked I looked at them and couldn't stop myself. Pete does not. Like Pete is pure professional. He is focused on cuz his his cover is like mani- uh, managing Mica, but he like knows that she is depending on him as a partner in this undercover mission. Absolutely. I will say that I did not notice the
0: half-dressed women (laughs) but not because of Demi this time but because I have a huge background in theater and that's just like what we did I just like assumed I just I mean if you have any sort of theatrical background you know
1: or even dance yeah because when they have this line like the the manager or someone tells Micah like I hope you I hope you don't mind getting naked in front of a thousand people she's not gonna strip on the runway they're saying this because she's going to be backstage with no privacy. And yeah, if you're an actor, theater performer, dancer, even a ballerina like me, I had to change backstage with, you know, no privacy. And it's just your job, you know? Yeah, it's like you don't even think about it. Yes, this leads us. Is it the photographer before Damien even says it? It's like already oh, there. Maybe it is
0: Maybe it is Damien. I just assumed it was the photographer when I was rewatching. Yeah.
1: Sutton goes and convinces Damien, the designer, to work with a quote-unquote new girl, which is Micah, and we get the introduction of this uh, awful topic uh, where Sutton says, here's the new girl, and Damien says, she behind the fat girl, Um, which let us be very clear, they are referring to Micah in that way, but... One, Micah is exceptionally thin, so that's awful to say. And two, even if you're not exceptionally thin, like, shaming people for their bodies is never okay. So let's start discussing.
0: Yes, my discussion point is there are so many people who would have watched this show who, I mean, it's not age-specific. Anyone can struggle with their weight at any time, but, you know, teens and young adults especially have a lot of pressure on them to conform to a certain body image and i wouldn't be surprised if there were some people who tuned into this episode and couldn't make it to the quote-unquote payoff at the end um there's a really great office episode where the guys in the office are rating women on a scale of one to ten like famous women of how attractive they are and one of the cutaway scenes is with Mindy Kaling's character, Kelly Kapoor, saying, well, no, this person has to be a 10 because if she's a one, what does that make me? Mm -hmm. The perception is these people are beautiful enough to be on TV or in movies. And I'm just a normal person out here living my life. If they're not considered attractive, then what am I? And if Micah is considered fat, I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of, viewers who are struggling with body image of whatever kind were like oh my god if they can even make jokes about how fat she is what does that make me
2: the 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 world of fashion is a really interesting one and and there's been so much written about it in recent years. I mean, certainly there's, I think, a lot more emphasis on diversity in beauty, more so than when I was young, when Cheryl Teagues and, and Christy Brinkley were the ideal, that models had to be you know, blonde and, and, and sort of American girl looking. So there is more, more diversity, although it's diversity within a pretty narrow range. I mean, every now and then you sort of hear the murmurs that, oh, yes, we're going to, we're going to bring in women with different body types and stuff, and, but, but it's different body types within, within such a narrow range. I mean it sort of picks up on that that sort of running joke in the, the show actually that, that Micah was always sort of the fat girl and you sort of look at her and just and and, and it's ridiculous obviously. But it does seem that that you know, modeling there's 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 different different sites of modeling, and, and so the, the the fashion week um, in New York and in Paris and Milan. I mean, those women really are and they really are just scarily thin. Whereas for some other fashion shoots, you know, there's more diversity. Yes, uh,
1: 2008 was the first quote unquote plus size model who won America's Next Top Model. Her name is Whitney. She's beautiful, but it was still a woman who was you know, not as curvy as most American women actually are. Yeah. It, it, it's such a complicated issue, and there was awareness of it at this time period that the modeling industry was damaging people and that the way we presented body image, like, was hurting people. But, I like, I can't say how much better it actually is in practice. And the culture
0: hasn't shifted enough either. Whenever... A truly plus size model comes out and is on a billboard or is trying to celebrate their success there's always someone who comments well we shouldn't be celebrating people who aren't healthy and you can't tell how healthy someone is by looking at them or not there are thin people who are extremely unhealthy and there are you know medically overweight people who are very healthy who could
1: like run a marathon you just don't know Well, and to Jillian's point, like, people use health as an excuse to fat shame people. And they're just straight up wrong because, like, different bodies have different norms for them. Like, what is normal and healthy for your body is not going to be the same as someone else's body. Um, Don't concern. Yeah,
0: no, you're right. I was just going to say don't concern troll people. Like, yes, I know that you might not even be realizing you're doing it. But if someone is struggling with their weight, or if they've put on some weight, and you're saying, you know, I'm just concerned about you, because X, Y, and Z, like, mind your business. Don't be concerned about them.
1: And if um, this will help you personally, I just suggest everyone go watch a Lizzo music video if you're thinking about this issue. Her line, (laughs) I'm not a snack, I'm a whole d*** -d 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 meal, like, that's a way to celebrate that bodies come in different shapes and sizes and we shouldn't let awful old media conventions tell us what is good or bad anyway
0: and i also want to get at the full context of what he says is oh is she behind the fat girl which also covers this weird sexualization slash infantilization thing that happens in a lot of image-based media Micah is a woman, and you wouldn't call her a girl in her secret service job. You wouldn't call her that law enforcement girl. That would be bizarre. Why is it okay to do that to models? Why are they not
1: women? So, Damien finally agrees that uh, for Sutton, he'll do anything. He takes Micah on and says she needs new pictures. Micah hilariously... Is like all right, uh, coffee time, and Pete's like no, 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 I don't want coffee, and she's like no, go get me my coffee. Don't don't put sugar in it. I want a black coffee, and like this leads like this is funny because we know Pete and Micah have a good partnership, and like this is fun for her to like play this role, but this leads Damien to be like speaking of slaves, and he calls his like personal assistant over, um, which we don't have time to unpack all of that, but. Jillian has things to say. I have things to say because, okay, we definitely, we, just to echo, we do not have
0: time to unpack all of it. Maybe don't casually use the word slave. It's got a really loaded history and stop. But germane to this conversation, there is a movement happening on Twitter right now where... Low-level writers and assistants within the television and movie industry are rising up under some very unfair treatment that they have endured, and I have dealt with some of it myself. The hashtag is PayUpHollywood, and I encourage all of you to read the stories that some of these people are putting out. I don't have time to unpack all of them. They're not all my stories, but of all the things that have come a long way since this episode aired the way that people treat assistants on the whole hasn't i'm not saying that there aren't great bosses out there who do really well by their assistants and by their low-level writers of course there are but the systemic issue that allows people to be abused and overworked for far less than a living wage has not been solved And might have even gotten worse. And so I just want to encourage people to, if this is something that bothered you in the show, it's something that's happening in real life. So please do check the hashtag
1: PayUpHollywood. So a fancy, sexy man named Gunther comes up to make Micah beautiful. Is that what you have? I said Gunther, the photographer, took pictures of Micah, but yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, and then this song, Sexy Bitch by David Guetta comes on. And gosh, I remember this song. It was literally like the song of that summer, so it was fun to hear it. I usually never notice music, as you know, and it's
0: so weird and awkward, and it just makes me laugh so hard that this is the song that they use because the specific line is, I'm trying to think of the words to describe this girl without being disrespectful and then the song title is
1: sexy. B- so, you failed. You failed, Akon and David Guetta. <laughs> <laughs> like they they did, but that's like the thing is that there's this fine line between like a woman claiming like, yeah, I'm a sexy b and a man saying she's a sexy bitch. Like they were <laughs> so close. To the feminist reclamation, but they failed hard.
0: They, Yeah, it was just, it was really funny. And then Ramana, the mean model, comes and sees Micah getting all made up and getting a lot of attention. She calls Micah fat again and is just generally very jealous. And then Damien... Watches Romana storm off and get jealous, and he says, "Why doesn't some thoughtful psychopath kill her for me?" Which I think is a really funny line. Personally. I think so too. It's, I think it just raises alarm bells in like the specific situation they're in. But I don't think I ever really considered him the bad guy.
1: No, and you can tell that he's. He is saying that in the way that, like, he is emotional and needs to express frustration. Yeah. But what uh, Pete says, which I do think we should think about, is it's like a game of gay Clue, which is in reference, I think, to Damien and the stereotype that male fashion designers are gay, which, like, it, I I love the idea of gay Clue. Me too. in earnest as a queer person, I would like to play a game called Gay Clue. The thing is, I don't think that's what Pete is saying.
0: I know. And it's awkward because we also know that there are so many queer writers in the show. So while they have the complete ability to make any kind of jokes they want, just the same way we can make jokes about ourselves, I think it's like, these aren't gay people making a joke about themselves being gay. It's, giving a straight man a joke about queerness, which reads differently to the audience.
1: I feel like Pete is confirming a stereotype that we should not be, like, endorsing, that we should be, like, actively resisting any stereotype. But it comes and goes, and hopefully we will expect better next time. Yes.
0: Uh, From there, we go to the warehouse where Claudia and
1: Artie work together
0: doing chemical blood analysis. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. No, it's great. Artie is making Claudia put a drop of blood onto a slide for a spectrometer, I believe, Mm -hmm. because he
1: doesn't like blood. This is hilarious when she's like, you're in the wrong line of work, and he's He knows it. He says, you have no idea. And she she says, wait, really? (laughs) (laughs) And uh, it's also funny because we get the idea that this is a very sensitive mission, mission, a a delicate machine. And um, right as, like, the important delicate thing is going into the machine, um, Claudia is like, oh, I'm getting a call from Todd. And uh, she, like, rushes over and everything, like... It's it's fun and funny to me. I think realistically Claudia is generally more serious about her job than she is in this moment. But like she's a 19-year-old with a crush. Maybe she is this this flat like this uh what's the word? Like frazzled about it.
0: Yeah, and like she did her job. She just left the thing in the machine, which <laughs> she already didn't say she couldn't do. But it's like she wasn't doing anything actively terrible. She was just being a bit casual. And after she hangs up, she reveals that it was a call from Todd regarding a coffee meetup, which Artie goes, oh, a date? And she goes, um, a pie slash coffee
1: summit, which is the best thing I've ever heard. I love it because it also reminds me of a Buffy line that's like, it's not a date, it's a caffeinated beverage. Yes. But like, this takes it to a whole other realm of, it's not a date, it's a summit, like maybe we'll solve crises between coffee and pie. Like, <laughs> it's clever and good, and I, I just, I love it. I love it very much, and Artie
0: hits the right level of encouraging this time, and tells Claudia to go, and to be herself, and- You know, she's like, okay,
1: Artie. But you can tell she enjoyed
0: that and took it to heart.
1: So we go back to the modeling uh, situation. So Micah's looking at pictures. A guy comes up behind her. And she whacks him and does her Secret Service thing. And he goes flying back away from her. And again, we get this comment where he's like, most of the girls here get winded pushing an elevator button. And... What I do think is important is, again, to comment on the kind of normalization of extreme unhealthy skinny bodies in the industry and how, uh, like we said, thin does not mean healthy. And in fact, for many thin people, they are unhealthy, but also many thin people are healthy. And, you know, think of someone like, I don't know, Katrina Belfa, whatever her name is. Katrina Belfa. Balf, she's so skinny, but I think that's just her bone structure. She's just that skinny. Like, you can't judge, oh, they're unhealthy or healthy, and yet here they are making this casual remark, and Micah doesn't, like, endorse his remark, but she does say, like, well, I eat, and we know not only does she eat, but she, you know, uh, is athletic and is going to do any training that Secret Service agents do to, like, fight bad guys, yeah. They move on to talk about her photos and he says she's a natural, which Micah clearly like feels really complimented by because she was unconfident going into the situation and then like her photos turn out great. And also it's just sorry, she's a beautiful woman, and
0: that doesn't necessarily mean she's comfortable being the center of attention. Her entire job And lifestyle revolves very specifically around her not being the center of attention. And this is very
1: difficult for a kind of person who likes to be in the background. And I think we forgot to mention, because we were too busy talking about the song, but, like, she did that photo shoot. And what I actually noticed about the photo shoot is, like, they do a good job in this montage of she goes in unsure and then she like kind of has fun with it and she poses and of course the photos turn out great and like people respond to her and that's hard when your whole job as an undercover agent is to not stick out and now she's sticking out
0: yeah and after the photographer tells her she has a gift and then leaves Micah turns to find Pete holding another cup of coffee And she's like, oh, I have a gift, sort of lightly bragging, which is really cute. And Pete says, how many of these, referring to the coffees, can you actually drink? And she says, oh, I'm not drinking them. I just like making you get them.
1: (laughs) And again, she's immersing herself in the role and a little method acting here. I think it's
0: payback. I think it's payback. She so doesn't want to be doing this. Like, she's having fun with parts of it, but it's just not her. And so, if he's gonna make her do this,
1: then she's gonna make him get her coffee. I just think it's so funny. I like that reading. I hadn't put it that way, but yes, it was Pete's idea, and she's getting payback for him making her go undercover. (laughs) So, there's a great reference here. Yes! Where... Pete has done some investigating, and he's like, yeah, no one has the picture of Dorian Gray hanging up. And just, like, as a Victorianist, huge spit take. Like, this is Oscar Wilde's Victorian novel about, like, a portrait of, you know, an aging man that the guy gets obsessed with. It's this whole thing. Like, um, Micah says, the real one's in the warehouse anyway. But Pete's response is the best part Brenda is dying of laughter, so I'll completely- I, Yeah, I'm, I am can't stop laughing about the picture of Dorian Gray being real, but uh, continue, Jill. But Pete's
0: reaction to her saying the real ones in the warehouse anyway is, Is that what that
1: is? I gotta stop looking at that. <laughs> <laughs> Which is so good, and like, oh my gosh. Like, that's like the whole point of the, the story and the novel, and like, also just- I I just, I love that the warehouse is full of historical artifacts and someone knowing that people like me would be watching made that line and it's great. It's so good. Then
0: they start talking about the case and Pete tells Micah that Romana, the mean model, hated Anya, the person to whom the breast implants belonged and that maybe Romana wanted to get rid of Anya. So he asks Micah to distract Romana while
1: Pete checks Romana's dressing room. And this brings us to the Unavilled Diner, where Claudia and Todd, aka Claude, Tadia. (laughs) uh, Tadia, yes. They're on a date, and it's cute and sweet. He asks her her favorite movie. Before we diverge into their very awkward date, I'm going to do an spotlights oh goodness i'm so ready for this get excited you guys um so todd is played by nolan gerard funk and that's a great last name he is a canadian actor who actually started out as a gymnast and diver so a little athletic that'll come in later um like allison <laughs> scagliati he got his biggest uh, career boost when he started with nickelodeon Um, He was in a movie called Spectacular with Victoria Justice. Hmm. Um, So he had been in other things before that and really jumped into a very vibrant career soon after. His well-known credits include the TV series RenegadePress.com and a series called Aliens in America in 2006 and 2007. Fun fact... He played a small role in the pilot of Lie to Me in 2009 and was also in one episode of The L Word in 2004. More recently, you may know him as Hunter Clarington in Glee, which he was in from 2012 to 2013. And he was also Colin Jennings in Awkward. From 2013 to 2015. Recently-er still. Wow. More recently (laughs) still. -er, Recently-er. Recently-er still. (laughs) Oh, wow. Um, He played Seth Landon in Major Crimes, 2017. And Angel Eyes in Counterpart from 2018. And you may have seen him in The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel as Josh in 2018. Lastly, if you are attracted to men in any way, or even mildly interested in looking at them, may I suggest Googling his time in 2013 and 2014 as a celebrity model for Versace. Uh, He was uh, side-by-side with Lady Gaga as the male model and female model for Versace at that time. And who boy, I told Jillian to Google that picture and... He has really grown up from little baby Todd into a very abtastic man. It was such a
0: shame that we weren't recording at the time she told me <laughs> to look oh. that up because my reaction was um loud. <laughs> okay. Claudia and Todd are having a very awkward time. He asks what her favorite movie is, and she just goes, I hate that, and like I make jokes about like how awkward I am. Not, not even me, guys. Not even me. Not even I would be
1: this awkward. <laughs> on a date. Um, She's too honest. Already said to be herself, and she is too sarcastic. In this moment, but it's not sarcastic. it's genuine. She really doesn't like the question, and I love her little ramble where she's like, "I mean am I, I just gonna tell you the first answer I think of, or there's eight thousand movies I just have to pick one Godfather
0: and it's like just it's so great because she realizes what she's doing as she's doing it, but not in time not in to time. not have done it <laughs>
1: yeah. um and then he also asks her where she went to high school, and like for a regular date, that's a perfectly fine question. There is a cricket chirping in the background. I'm okay. sorry. No, it's I okay. Re- I just wondered if I was like having
0: feedback on my. No, you're no. fine. Uh, There's nothing I can do about it. No, it's fine. I was just
1: checking my equipment. Um, but she, uh, she immediately, with her difficult past, is like, "What? Why? What? Why these questions?" And like, you know, he doesn't and can't possibly understand why that's a difficult question.
0: And then a waitress arrives and. Claudia orders chili with extra onions, and to be fair, I
1: would totally do that.
0: I know. I I mean, see, that's the thing. I wrote, like,
1: it's a poor choice, but I get it because she's not thinking about it. She's just thinking about what food she wants, and, like, onions are delicious, you know? Yeah, I agree. Simple. We talk about the ace
0: spectrum and demisexuality a lot this is a specific example to point to of like the way dating culture makes a lot of people immediately think of the physical outcomes of dating which not everyone gets to that point at the same time whether it's sexual or whether it's more benign like hand-holding or kissing everyone has their own timelines on which they do things but there is A general expectation that most things need to happen either right away or within the first three dates and that's not true or fair to put out there. This is what happens when you focus more on what the cultural expectation is of you rather than what you specifically want out of your date. I feel like I don't know how to read Claudia whether she's on the queer spectrum or not. But I do know that she was going into this state thinking, I want to have a good time and see how I feel about this person. And maybe Todd was thinking that too, and maybe he wasn't, maybe he was just making a joke,
1: but he brought in the cultural expectation and it instantly made things awkward. Um, but Claudia realizes how bad uh, this is going and how kind of mortified she is and right as the waitress comes with some food, she rushes up to leave. And this means that the food spills mostly on Todd, kind of all over the place. And on his lap. She runs out mortified. And I feel so bad. I feel so bad for her. And it's so hard
0: because she is a genius. She, And she's not emotionally unintelligent either. Like, yeah. she... It's not one of those situations where it's like, oh my gosh, I'm so great in my professional life and I'm such an awkward person. She actually isn't really an awkward person. She just has a deficit in her knowledge of that particular kind of social interaction. But she just doesn't know what to do to a degree that the only thing she can
1: think to do is remove herself from the situation. And that makes me really sad. Yeah. Well, this will come back full circle where it's just like most of us as teenagers have awkward dates and it's just like, you know, a thing that happens as you grow up. So this leads us back to the Micah plot line where Pete tells Micah to go distract Romana and this quickly becomes a confrontation. Um, Micah is kind of confronting her about the way she behaves and Romana's, like, being a model isn't about beauty. It's not about clothes. Like, with one look, I can stop a war. And, like, here's what I was saying earlier is, like, I am pro, like, empowerment through modeling and any other uh, a job or career that is based on your physical appearance or presentation of yourself or Absolutely. Uh, performance, like, I am the first one to say, like, yes, models are more than a pretty face. They are talented individuals. But, like, this, I don't know how to read. Like, so what did you think? I mean, I think that she's very good at her
0: job and also very rude. And I think that that's not great. But I don't think that is, I think it's more nuanced than the show would have us believe. Like, yeah. I get that if you are very good at your job and you work so hard and you see it in this artistic way that if the, quote, hot new thing comes and starts trying to take your spotlight, you feel threatened and you lash out. I think that she is not a mature person or a kind person, but I do think she is a hard working professional. And I think that we put a lot of pressure on almost all female characters to be good in all ways, or they're not good characters. But I think that she's just nuanced, and she's not a very
1: good person, but she's a hard worker. I appreciate you saying that, because that was that's what I believe in my heart, but I think that the show doesn't give us as much nuance as we can read into actually being there.
0: Yeah, I think that she's meant to be a caricature, but I think that by giving her this line, even if they meant it as sort of a melodramatic joke, it does ground her.
1: Well, agents, it is out midnight on Christmas Eve, so I'm going
0: to disappear. But I wanted to get something out before I disappeared for the holidays,
1: so part two will be out soon, and we will see you next time, probably one week or two. Later, agents.